good morning again, everybody. Uh, we're making our way steadily through the good news of John's gospel in 2021. And this morning, we've arrived at another well-known story from the life of Jesus. And John's eyewitness account of the events is a bit more concise than a few of the other gospel writers. So what I'm going to do this morning, I'm going to conflate a few of the stories. Uh, this account is recorded by Matthew, Mark, and John. So I'm going to include their eyewitness testimonies as well. But first, let's ask the Lord to help illuminate his word, shall we? So thank you, Father, again for the wonderful gift of your word to us. And we pray, Lord, that you would open our hearts and minds and souls so that we might hear you this morning by your spirit speaking to us. And take these words once more and may these living words get into us and keep changing us and forming us and refining us and transforming us into the image of your dear son, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, our sermon text this morning is John's Gospel, chapter 6. I'll be reading verses 16 to 24. John 6, 16 to 24. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake, which is the Sea of Galilee, where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I. Don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples, but they had gone away alone. Then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Okay, so we pick up the story again this week after Jesus offered yet another unmistakable sign that he is God in the flesh by doing only what God can do. And that was feeding a huge crowd with just a couple barley loaves of bread and a few fish the size of sardines. And those who witnessed this miracle responded predictably with amazement, but they also moved quickly with plans to coronate Jesus as the king of Israel. Why wait? Anybody doing the kinds of miracles Jesus is doing certainly must be the Messiah. So he needs to take his proper place 
on the throne of Israel. Well, how does Jesus respond to all this flattering adulation about becoming the most powerful man in Israel? No thanks. (laughs) That was his response. I'll tell you why. Because he's got much bigger plans for his kingdom. He's going to rule over all nations. And his kingdom will never end. So he instructs his disciples to go back across the lake while he takes time to dismiss the crowd. And then it says that he hikes up the mountain to find a place to rest and to pray. John then informs us that it was dark outside by the time the disciples finally climb into a boat and set sail across the northern tip of the Sea of Galilee. We learn that a contrary wind was blowing against them, so the waters grow rough, and they were, according to Matthew, being battered by the waves. In Mark's gospel, he says that Jesus looked out and saw the disciples straining at the oars. Now, I have great affection for this image of Jesus, resting in some elevated location overlooking the water. It's the middle of the night, and somehow he sees them struggling because God never loses sight of us. Psalm 121.8, my favorite psalm, concludes by saying, he's watching over our coming and our going, both now and forevermore. And Jesus is the image of the unseen God. So he was walking around on our planet on a mission to reveal God the Father to us. And God is always watching over our lives. Well, after they had rowed about three or three and a half miles during the fourth watch of the night, which would have been between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., they're out there rowing, they see Jesus approaching the boat, but not in another boat. He's walking on the water. He's come out to help them. And when they saw him defying the laws of gravity, they went crazy. They jumped up and down the boat and they celebrated and clapped and rejoiced at one more incredible display of his divine power. Think about it. It was only a few hours earlier that they saw him perform the miraculous multiplication of the food. They'd been watching him do miracles day after day. 
And at this point, should this really surprise them? That he's walking on water? It's just another day at the office. But that's not how they responded. It says they were terrified. They were scared senseless by the image of Jesus walking on the water. They thought he was a ghost. So he calls out to them and says, it is I, don't be afraid. And some translators render this, I am. So don't be afraid. And the it is I or I am greeting from Jesus. This may well be, have been one more less than subtle attempt to reveal his identity as the Lord of creation, which means he has authority over the waves and the seas. And I think his disciples certainly would have perked up at this reference. Jesus here takes upon himself a phrase reserved for Yahweh alone. Who you may recall, his disciples certainly would have, that he walked on the waters when he parted the Red Sea at that original Passover. And then he responded to Moses' question to him to reveal his identity when Moses said, who are you? And he said to Moses, I am who I am. I love the Jewish interpretation of that phrase. They translate it as God says to Moses, I will be whoever I will be. I think for me this means, hey, God has the freedom if he wants to become incarnate as the man Jesus and to drop down right into the middle of human history and walk on water if he wants. Matthew's the only gospel writer to record Peter's attempt to walk on water with Jesus. So I'm not going to give it a lot of time this morning. I'm not sure why John omits the story. I don't know. Maybe he wasn't all that impressed with Peter's attempt, right? But you do have to give him credit for trying. But Matthew does say something very, very, very significant. When Peter and Jesus climb into the boat, it says that the disciples worshipped him and said, truly, you are the Son of God. Now, if you're keeping track, this is the fifth sign from Jesus revealing to the world that he's the Son of God. And it seems to be working. This section ends with the boat reaching the shore safely, Again, I'm conflating the accounts. And the next morning, more people arrive across the seas and they're looking for him. Of course they are. Word's getting out. And they're bringing their sick to him and it says they begged him to just let them touch the edge of his cloak. That's all they need. 
And it says that all who touched him were healed. He's God in the flesh. All right, I think the lessons in this passage seem fairly obvious to me. Jesus is the Son of God, so that means he's all-powerful. And thankfully, he's also (laughs) all-loving. So this scene includes darkness, straining against the oars, the battering of waves, and fear. Those are fairly apt metaphors to describe a lot of life. Dark, stormy, rough waters. Where is Jesus? Anybody relate to that experience? Okay. I think sometimes it seems our lives are just a series of storms. (laughs) Stormy relationships, stormy health conditions, stormy job situations, stormy financial conditions, on and on. The storms rage in our lives, one after the other, and it can feel like we're being constantly tossed about. I actually think that's part of the nature of life, living in a world that's not yet fully redeemed. And of course, there's plenty of joy and celebration and wonder and love and beauty too. What we learned this morning is that during the darkest hours of our lives, when we're straining with something, and certainly there are some of us this morning straining with something, what we learned is he sees us. And he knows us. And he's well aware. And he comes alongside of us in the midst of us to encourage us, to strengthen us, to give us peace in the midst of the storm, to comfort us and to envelop us in his love. He may not pull us out of it, but he does want to climb into the boat with us because he loves us. And I will say to you this morning, this is perfectly consistent with my own experience with Jesus. But I also realize we do have a choice. And that is, will we invite him into our boats or will we try to keep rowing to the shore in our own power and remain paralyzed by our fear? Here's what I also know. Once he's in the boat, there's no more fear. Did you ever notice that all the fear knots in the Bible are accompanied by because I'm with you? <laughs> That's the only way it's possible. As 
we sang earlier, so that we're no longer slaves to fear. There's no darkness too deep. There are no waves too high or sea too wide for him to find us and walk with us. That's the good news this morning. As sons and daughters of God, Jesus is waiting for us to invite him into our boats. How do we do it? All right, I'll finish with that. I actually don't think it's terribly complicated. Here's how we do it. We slow down. And we quiet our souls. And we pray until we become aware that he's standing right beside our boat. He's always there. We are just too busy and often way too oblivious to notice. He's waiting there for us to invite him in. I'll tell you the spellbinding spell nature of this whole story to me is this. The one who multiplied the loaves and the fishes and walked on the water. I just spent time with him this morning. Same guy. Same experience this morning in his presence. Fear goes away. Peace fills me. Joy consumes me. And his love overwhelms me. And then I just hopefully go out into the world and share the overflow of that experience. And I go with deep gratitude because I know this intimate, abundant life, this relationship with the creator of the universe, the son of God, was only made possible through his sacrifice on the cross that removed from me that which removed me from God. Thanks be to God. May we be people who can say to a world in fear, peace be still. The Lord is with us. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, instead of praying, I want to Sort of read something over you instead. There's a beautiful parallel text from Isaiah. This is chapter 43, verses 1 to 5. So I'm going to invite you to close your eyes, and I'm going to read this passage over to you, and I hope that you'll hear this as coming from the one who loves you and is with you. The Lord says to you, Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. When you pass through the waters, I am with you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, the one saving you, since you are precious in my sight and because I love you. Do not be Afraid, for I am 
with you. In the name of Jesus, amen.